2008 marked the creation of arguably the most powerful blockbuster franchise of the 21st century, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Disney acquired Marvel for $4 billion soon after, and their investment has proved obscenely profitable, with a combined box office gross topping $22 billion. There are more than 20 movies in the MCU at this time, with many more on the way. Marvel merchandise is in every store in America, hit Marvel shows are on television, and Disney has created a streaming service that heavily rests on the back of its superhero cash cow. All of this wealth seems to stem from Robert Downey Jr.'s career-defining performance in Jon Favreau's Iron Man. Iron Man came out of nowhere to be a smash hit and provided a bedrock for everything that would come after, as well as reviving RDJ's flagging career. But how does a movie with such an outsized effect on the American blockbuster fare in the harsh light of hindsight? I can't imagine a film more deserving of a retrospective look. So, without further ado... Here's 2008's The Incredible Hulk. Hey everybody and welcome to Hate No Eight, the show where we look at movies and media from 2008 and see how they've fared from the perspective of a decade and change. I am joined today by uh, common guest host David Thorpe. David, how you doing? I lost my fucking notes. David lost his notes. Good. Uh, It is seriously postponed how long we have to make this podcast. (laughs) It's a real issue. We're also joined uh, by Ian White. Ian, how are you? Can you call me Papa Slop? No. (laughs) No, I can't call you Papa Slop. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for calling me Papa Slop. Ian... (sighs) Ian's going to edit this one. <laughs> <laughs> Ian. Hi, I'm Ian. Oh. So we watched uh, 2008's The Incredible Hulk. Um, so how did you guys see this movie back in 08 if you saw it? David, I, I know I saw it in the theater. Um, I the know day you after saw it my the birthday. Th- <laughs> I know you saw it in the theater as a present for your birthday because I was at that birthday party where you got a Bible Man card that read... <laughs> Where I'm taking you to the hold of your dad. <laughs> we were I remember at... that day. Ian, I didn't know you that day. <laughs> I remember that day. Ian, how did you see the movie? I, I never said it. how I saw the movie. Ian, how did you see I it? saw it in the basement of David's parents' house. Oh, you hadn't seen it before 2019. yesterday? 2019. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, David, how did you see it? Father's Day, right? Yeah, yeah. I saw it yeah. on Father's Day with my dad, and it was a very sweet Nice experience. <laughs> I saw it with my dad, too, obviously. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so what did you guys think? What did you think of The Incredible Hulk? Oh, well, my thoughts on The Incredible Hulk were, man, I really forgot about this movie, and, man, it really did not deserve to be forgotten about. <laughs> I was shocked, uh, shocked by this movie's, like, quality. I It's low-key, but it's a pretty good it's a pretty good little movie. No, Loki is uh, Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> He's in more than just that, but it is funny to me that you he said that was his main The movie. most recent movie he was in, or the first movie he was in. Or his real biggest role, either. No, he just picked a movie he was in. <laughs> it would be funny if you had said, uh, that's the one from Infinity War. <laughs> 
Yeah, I I don't know what I expected. I think it, I think I just expected it to be a like a mindless CGI like punch 'em up movie, and it kind of becomes that at some point. But um, for the first two thirds, it's really a lower key movie. What it is, what we talked about during the during the screening, was a modern take on the Incredible Hulk TV show from the seventies. Yeah, and I want to say the seventies, eighties. And as I read into the trivia, it actually just kind of more and more reveals that because it's stuff like Universal owned the rights to that original. TV right, show. and Luis Leterrier, who directed the movie, really liked the original. Uh, he even brought Lou Ferrigno as the voice of the Hulk in this, from you know Lou Ferrigno's role as the Hulk. Ian, what did you think of the movie? The Incredible Hulk, also known as uh, Stan, dies at the start. I feel like Ian is using Jeez. his notes specifically to make fun of the fact that I don't have mine. <laughs> All of his notes are was... dumb jokes and that's it. Bring oh. Ian on and it's total fucking revolt. So Instantly. anyways, uh, I'm just, that's just that's just how I am. I'm a revolter. You're revolting. <laughs> I revolt people. <laughs> um, so, no, I I thought it was solidly entertaining. Um, I haven't seen, like, the early 2000 Spider-Man movies very recently, but it kind of reminded me, like, the way it kind of made me feel was when, how I felt watching those movies. It was kind of, like, I guess calming, I guess, in a way. There's a lot like, of Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Yeah, 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 I yeah. totally got that on As my notes, and if I had them, I would show you, but, <laughs> but I you don't. did it! As we record... You didn't. let me say it! <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea that... Throughout this podcast episode, every time I say a point, you guys are going to say, oh, you stole that from me, and because I don't have my notes, I can't prove that I did. All right, let's cut so, out that part and do that bit. What was I saying? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought it was a solidly entertaining movie. I would watch it again, um, although I will say, like, it weirdly sticks out. Even Iron Man, I don't think, has comparable directing choices. It absolutely has a different feel than a lot of the other MCU movies. Uh, this was one of the one of the two made before Disney purchased Marvel in two thousand nine, and it feels like something that couldn't necessarily be placed into an MCU movie. Now, mm -hmm. we'll get more into that later. But yeah, it has. Uh, we'll get a lot more of... into depth about that when we talk about the characters of Bruce Banner and the Hulk individually, and as a unit. And you know, actually, you want to just jump right into that talking about Bruce Banner. Let's just move in. Yeah, Bruce Banner. How Ed Norton's only take on the character after Eric Bana and uh, and Angley's Hulk. Coming right out of the gate, I really like this Bruce Banner. He's just such a solid character. We know what he's afraid of, what he's working towards, what he believes in. Ed Norton just, and possibly in his rewrites, because he did a lot of rewriting in this that you pointed out. It just seems that he... Uh... I think you took that from my notes. I think I had that in my notes. Yeah, I think... I can't prove you wrong. <laughs> he uh, he just did a really good job of bringing Bruce Banner to life. I think. Uh, I I think that so the beginning of this movie, uh, the first 
20 minutes, I think is really well done. Mm -hmm. And it does a really good job showing how Bruce Banner keeps his anger in check, Mm. what he does on a daily basis, him searching for a cure, but also just trying to stay calm and collected every day. It does a really good job of empathizing and placing us in the role of Bruce Banner without a lot of dialogue. And it really keeps us going for the movie. And how he kind of really reacts around other people. Yeah, he's not very assertive, almost to a fault, because he can't be. How do you feel about Bruce Banner, Ian? Um, I I definitely would like to see another movie with this Bruce Banner. Uh, There's a really good moment, maybe 20 minutes in, where a woman at a plant that he works at in, in Rio is getting harassed by a bunch of, like, local toughs mm-hmm. and at first he walks past because he can't risk getting angry and letting out the hulk and i thought for a second that that was going to be the end of the scene that he was going to leave but he comes back and it does a really good job in showing us that he's an essentially good character that he does care about people but he always has that the constant battle of whether he's going to put people in jeopardy with the hulk in order to save others it's a really nice bit of eh, somewhat subtle character building and I kind of wish they kept that theme throughout the movie. But it also, I, I think also is like, I mean, what, what I was thinking about it, it's like he was essentially like a researcher mm-hmm. beforehand. And like, if you think about it, the the person he is basically from the moment you see him in the movie, it's almost as if he has a military background of some sort. Like he has, what's the word? He's evaded... Um, capture? Capture. Yeah, he's evaded capture. He's evaded notice of like the U.S. military, although going all the way down to Brazil going all the way back up to the, to the United States. Um, in he lives on his days. own. Yeah. <laughs> he managed. Yeah. <laughs> there's a great... There's oh, yeah. A great... There's a lot of focus in this movie in how... Uh, Move fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that was my note. And on how Bruce Banner and company move throughout the world. Like, there's a lot of him walking and hitchhiking and when him I, and Betty stealing a car or buying a car. And Ian freaked out at the fact that he made it from uh, Portugal all the way... No. (laughs) No. Wrong continent. He made it from from northern Guatemala, southern Mexico to uh, Virginia. Virginia. In 17 17 days. We have to assume he took some kind of train? Yeah. He has to have. 17 days? Yeah. Yeah. Just turned into the Hulk and ran. (laughs) And this is not like Ang Lee's Hulk where he can jump 20 miles. He's he just jumps a little baby, little baby Hulk. He's a little baby Hulk. Yeah. He's not a big Hulk. We'll get the Hulk. Yeah, it's I don't know, like that to me. Um, reflecting on the movie, that was also interesting because becoming the Hulk has forced such like a giant character change upon Bruce Banner. Well, he has I, the researcher thing is a really good point because he has the mind and the temperament of a re- of a researcher of a scientist but he's had to have such rigid control over every part of his life to stop him from turning into the hulk that he's this very very controlled very tampered down guy i think the performance could be construed as like underacting and i don't think that's what it is i think mm-hmm. it's although an interesting comparison uh you made was that Ed Norton's Bruce Banner is very much a man who can't allow himself to get angry when you compare him to uh, Eric Bana's Bruce Banner, who is a man that has anger issues. Yes. This Ed Norton's character is almost too passive throughout. Like, he... 
I mean, I understand that character choice Absolutely. of why he's so passive because he's had to make himself. He's that very way. active, but he's very passive while he does things. And again, I don't. I think it's easy to look at that and see a problem. I don't. I don't really think I do. There's a great scene uh, a little later in the movie where he and uh, and Liv Tyler's character are about to get down and dirty, and they have to stop because if he if his heart uh, beats too fast, he'll turn into the Hulk. Uh, that's actually a pretty great through line through the movie. For a lot of it, he has this wrist heartbeat monitor, and if it gets too close to 200, he changes, and that is kind of a mantra of us to like for us to see his mental state throughout. Great way of displaying turning into the Hulk, by the way. Absolutely. No, it's yeah. really good. And and since he doesn't turn into the Hulk until the first real action scene of the movie, A Chase in Brazil, um, we're not quite sure what that transformation is going to look like. They tease us a little bit with that heartbeat monitor climbing climbing, but we're not sure what the break point is until it hits 200. Uh, that's a pretty good segue to talk about the opening of the movie, which I think we all agreed was a really great way to give a lot of an exposition non-verbally. Uh, in my notes, wherever the fuck they are... Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, how would you know? <laughs> uh, I have uh, a yeah. thing that says... Is the Hulk the beginning of skipping origin stories that we've really kind of gotten into now, where a lot of movies just kind of skip origin stories because we don't really need them anymore? We don't need Spider-Mans. Uh, we barely needed, like, Thors. <laughs> sure. I mean, and I think so. Uh, this movie, uh, to give some context, the opening of this movie uh, gives us just over the credits uh, scenes of him turning into the Hulk and uh, General Ross going after him. Uh, there's not much dialogue. It's mostly through reading or, or just showing scenes. A lot of a lot of stuff was cut from this movie, o over 70 minutes of footage. So I assume a lot of this was going to be shown at one point. Uh, but by compressing it here, we get everything we need to know and we understand where the character is. And it allows us to start on a much slower-paced, more mm. contemplative Brazilian opening where the first you know 20 minutes are functionally in Portuguese. Now that we've talked a lot about Bruce Banner, and we'll come back to him when we talk about Betty. Of course. Because, uh, but let's talk about his uh, counterpart, the Hulk, because uh, something real interesting about this movie is that they, unlike a lot of the comics where it displays the Hulk as a different entity almost, this Hulk is Bruce Banner. He's yeah. Um, yeah. like a rage-filled Bruce Banner. Betty, when talking to him, he recognizes Betty, and he talk. No, he doesn't talk with Betty, but he recognizes Betty, and Betty communicates with him the, yeah. when he's the Hulk. He, he This Hulk speaks very little. I think the only lines I can remember from this Hulk are, leave me alone, and Hulk smash uh, at the end. The touchstone I kept coming back to was King Kong. He's mostly nonverbal. Mm -hmm. He's he's not as big or as strong, well, as big or uh, as some of the other on-screen Hulks. He's only maybe eight feet, nine feet. Um, I'd say eight feet because he's maybe only like two feet taller than Betty. Yeah, and I mean he's real muscly. He's a big brawny boy. I mean, uh -huh. oof, he's swole. But he doesn't jump two miles like Ang Lee's Hulk or um or the Hulk of the MCU. He's a much closer to the ground. Uh, character which mm -hmm. works because he's mostly fighting the military 
which might be a good segue point into some of the villains of the movie. Uh-huh. By the way, I'm sorry if we're not spending as long on the Hulk, but really there is not as much to spend time on. He's... I don't know if I would call this a weakness, but he's not really a character. Mm-hmm. He's just... As much as he is just a side of Bruce Banner. Yeah. And I and I do think one of my legitimate complaints about the movie is he never really comes across as a real threat. He only comes out when Bruce is directly threatened by people. And he only ever fights with uh, military or people who are attacking him. There's no... There's no scene where Hulk uh, gets angry and smashes people's houses or cars or threatens civilians. Mm-hmm. It's a very... Uh, heroic Hulk is not really the right term. It's more... He's always aimed at the bad guys, but there so is there's the first never scene. a worry. The first scene is different, though. You know you mean in the opening credits when he yeah. like destroys the lab? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I guess. That, that's fair. I don't really... Well, he wasn't in a hospital. He was in, like, a research lab. No, no, no. He puts everyone in the hospital. That's oh, what I was saying. Oh, I, see, see. I see what you're saying. I don't think that is enough for me. Um, no, I, I don't think it is either. But, but good point. Yeah. I'm glad you brought it up. But anyways, as you said, speaking about the military, moving on to a couple of our villains, would you so rather go over... Let's go with Ross first. Ross? Um, okay. So, William Hurt plays uh, General Ross in this movie. I I really liked him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's kind of an, a nothing entity in um, the Oops. later MCU movies he shows up in, but in this movie, he's a constant dick. Just a constant jerk. He has a little bit of a redemption at the end, but... It's it's a it's a one note performance, but that's kind of okay. Yeah, he's not a character who really needs an expansive inner life. He's an Ahab after a whale, the Hulk's whale, and you know <laughs> that's all he needs. He doesn't. And um, there's a really really good line after Bruce thinks he's effectively um, wiped out the Hulk, where Ross leans in and says something to the effect of, "If you've taken him from me." I'll put you in a hole for the rest of your life. That capture of the Hulk is fundamentally more important than anything Bruce could ever do, positive or negative. Yeah, and he mm. says, you know, that man's body is government property or something. It's, I'm paraphrasing, yeah. but yeah. He's definitely fueled uh, by a combination of wanting to capture his biggest mistake uh, and wanting to weaponize the power of the Hulk, which continues to mess up his men. He's really good. He does have sort of a, a baby baby face turn uh, when he fights against the Abomination at the end of the movie, but uh, it's sort of a too little too late. Uh, he wants to save his daughter, but, it, you know. If there is a second layer to this one-note character, it's about how the search for the Hulk has outweighed his love for his daughter at this point. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. you know, usually in films, we're ready for that turnabout where, uh, I hate the Hulk, but I love my daughter more. And it never really comes, and I kind of like I mean, I kind of like that it's still that he... He's sad when he thinks his daughter is dead, and mm-hmm. he tries to save her, but it's it's never going to be his primary focus. Yeah. yeah. He if it, If push comes to shove, he will save her. But he's not going to stop his search to mend his relationship with yeah. his daughter. He's a military man to the core. Everyone else is wrong except him. Mm-hmm. Like there's a there's that moment where um, essentially Betty's talking uh, talking to him is like you know I I don't ever you know don't ever talk to me as your daughter again. And he responds with something to the extent of like you know if you weren't my daughter you'd be in prison or something like that. I think that kind of sums it up yeah. right there. Mm-hmm. Like he you know. Doesn't want redemption, but he'll kind of throw a scrap her way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he's kind of 
the setup for our, I guess, primary villain of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, Tim Roth. I think this movie was my first introduction to Tim Roth, one of my favorite actors in the world. God, um, Tim Roth is so good. He's, he's, I wanted more Tim Roth in this movie. Every and, scene with Tim Roth was great. And I know you won't believe me, but in my notes, it says, uh, Tim Roth wants to fuck the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Roth's a top. Tim Roth's absolutely a top. Tim Roth's character, this uh, old British soldier, Russian-born British soldier, wishes he could have the body of his 20-year-old self with the knowledge he now has, obsessed with uh, with being the best. But there's a lot of character about him, uh, really given in very few scenes. Goes up against the Hulk, and instead of being terrified by him, is intrigued. Yeah, in Tim Roth's effort to defeat the Hulk or overcome the Hulk, General Ross injects him with an experimental super soldier serum. It leads to, I think, our best fight scene in the movie. Uh, at the college campus. At the college campus. So there's a, there's a lot of the, the military trying to stop the Hulk, and that's fun. It is funny how, how Ross keeps pulling another thing out of his ass to go after the Hulk. Like, yeah. they start with uh, tanks, uh, and the tanks don't, or and grenades... Smoke grenades yeah. don't work. Then tanks, they do not work either. Mm-hmm. And guns. Then Tim Roth goes up against the Hulk. Best fight scene. It's a much smaller human combatant. Dodging the Hulk, shooting him, uh, getting around him. It's almost like a precursor to what you may think a fight between like the Hulk and Captain America may look like. Yeah, it's interesting and it looks good in a way that the Hulk smashing another tank doesn't. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here. Louis Leterrier, the director of this movie, uh, was most known at this point for directing the first two Transporters and Jet Li and Unleashed. Um, so what he's best at are sort of lower budget action movies. And there's a lot of that feel, especially in the first chase scene through Rio. It's it's well done, especially for an MCU movie. And we really see that here where we have Tim Roth's character going up against the Hulk. It's shot well. It's very clear this is a daytime scene. Uh, and contrasted against the end of the movie, uh, which we'll get to, mm. is uh, less good. Um, well, should we get to it? Or, I mean, we're, if we're going through it by character, we've already talked about the Hulk, and now we're talking about Abomination. So yeah, I guess we should jump into the end. So, uh, Tim Roth, he forces Tim Blake Nelson, who <laughs> we'll get to. <laughs> Tim Blake Nelson, uh, maybe the MVP of the movie behind Mr. Tim Blue. Roth. Mr. Blue is forced by Blonsky to inject him with Banner's blood. And Blonsky becomes some kind of super soldier Hulk combo called the Abomination. And he's a little bigger than the Hulk and he's got big Doomsday spikes. He essentially looks like Doomsday. He, he looks, looks more a lot like, like Doomsday. He looks more like Doomsday than... BVS Doomsday? Yeah. Yeah. He does. Uh, and he starts rampaging Harlem. Boy, this movie has a lot of white people messing up Harlem. That's a, that's a big thing this movie comes back to. Harlem becomes Swiss cheese from the bullets that are shot <sighs> at the Hulk in Abomination. Rough yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, he becomes the Abomination, and the Abomination is fine. The design of him is cool. The design of him is cool, but the CGI on him is rough. The CGI is not nearly as good as for the Hulk, and the fight they have is the weakest part of the movie. It's murky, it's gray, mm-hmm. it just doesn't... I, I One of my notes, um, 
says that the CGI doesn't have, feel like it has weight. Hey, that like, was my note. <laughs> no, it wasn't. You stole that from me. I certainly did not. How can you prove that you didn't? <laughs> my notes are gone. Crazy. <laughs> so crazy, man. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Dude, that's wild. <laughs> that's Ian's way of saying he's tired. Please stop this bit. <laughs> Yeah, like, the CGI is okay, it's just, it doesn't feel as interesting or as exciting, especially not as much as, as the Hulk fighting uh, Sonic cannons or Blomsky as a human. I was really hoping you were going to say as the Hulk fighting Sonic. Uh, like, I guess it seemed like the fight, because, you know, whenever you've got, like, the final boss fight or whatever, whatever you film people call the final fight in a movie. I don't know. The climax, I guess? Yeah, sure. Although I do the orgasm. Want to call it, I want to call it the boss fight. I think that's pretty correct. Yeah, that's a good term the, for it. <laughs> the boss fight of the movie. The boss fight of the movie. Usually, you, you start out with the protagonist having some sort of upper hand, <laughs> then it's muddled, and then, you know, like, the villain takes the upper hand and, like, Right, you know, fight takes has, it from yeah, yeah. The fight has it a rhythm to it. Goes back and forth, it. and like, and then it's like this some sort of desperation, and then like the, you know, superhero wins in the in, in the end. This one was basically just all that second part. It felt like to me, like the Hulk does not have any business fighting Abomination. The Hulk it, just gets wrecked until yeah, he doesn't get yeah, wrecked. And, yeah, and then when he doesn't get wrecked, it almost, like, when I was watching the movie, I was just having this thought. They just kind of pulled something out of their ass to have the Hulk defeat the well, Abomination. What they're like, trying, what they one keep... moment he was losing, and then the next he wasn't. <laughs> well, what but they keep trying to it do... It felt more like that than with other <laughs> movies I've seen. I don't know. Well, what yeah. they were trying to do was the Hulk sees Betty, and the danger to mm -hmm. Betty is what spurs him to be a hero, mm -hmm. but that doesn't really work, because mm -hmm. she's been in trouble for a while, yeah. and, and it, it doesn't seem like that should work against a super Hulk, um, which is what the Abomination is. There's also the mm -hmm. issue that the Abomination has a couple lines, but they're not great, and they're not near... There's They're all some variation of, is that all you got? Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's he's got so much less charisma than normal Tim Roth. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, it just... I doesn't... really like sweaty Tim Roth. I just want everybody to know that I really <laughs> like sweaty, really desperate for drugs Tim Roth, where he's <laughs> just like, that, I want that, <laughs> give me that. <laughs> I really love train spotting Tim Roth. Yeah. <laughs> T2 Tim Roth's real good. Um, I guess let's let's talk a little bit about Tim Blake Nelson, Samuel Stern's mm -hmm. the Moving leader. on to the next Tim. Uh, Tim, the, Tim two. the two Tims. Great third act introduction. Uh -huh. Really fun, ridiculous like character. I would have. I want him as. Th I want the leader back. Yeah, I want he, the leader as a. Uh, serious MCU villain. There's a real setup for him as the leader, and it doesn't get followed up on, and he's so good in the role mm -hmm. as this sort mm -hmm. of, not evil character, but curiosity takes him too far. Yeah. yeah. He has a lot of fun with Tim Roth. Uh, Tim and Tim are great. Tim and Tim are really great. Tim TNT. and Tim. TNT, it's dynamite. Those two are the pinnacle of the movie. But. Absolutely. And, well, and we have one of the, I think, one of the weaker elements of the movie. The last act is a little squished mm -hmm. so bruce banner goes to uh tim tim uh, tim b nelson to get cured to become a human and that is successful and immediately afterwards he's captured there's no there's no scenes of him getting to live as a human there's no moment where he gets any real relief it's 
you're a human. Oh, I have all this blood. I have all this Hulk blood. Then he has to become the Hulk again to fight Abomination. Mm -hmm. That should be a real second act Spider-Man 2 turning point where he gets to experience life without the Hulk. And then he has to return to heroism. But we've, we're already like so late in the movie that there's no way we can no. have that moment. There's 20 minutes left. We got to get the abomination out there and have our big murky superhero so fight. So what was going on in that movie to not give us the time for that? Well, I think we should then move on to, to Betty, Betty Ross. Right, Betty Ross. Mm -hmm. uh, Which, by the way, I don't want to make that sound like Betty was ruining the movie somehow. No, because no. she is a... Great, probably one of the best relationships in yeah. the uh, MCU. Especially compared, probably the yeah. closest comparison is uh, Natalie Portman and Thor, who gets a lot less to do than Betty does, mm -hmm. uh, or at least a mm -hmm. lot less character. Um, but yeah, I love them together. Yeah, they're, Liv Tyler does a really good job. They're very cute. Uh, uh, I two. love it's them together. Couple. I love a lot of her lines just on her own. She's a great comedic actress and dramatic actress. She's and also, I love how she cucks Ty Burrell. Poor cucked Ty Burrell. <laughs> and it is, in fact, the second movie. Shut up, shut up. So, when I was watching this movie, I had a thought. Which was... I'm gonna kill you. This is basically Night at the Museum 2. <laughs> not... not <laughs> told wrong me, one. up for Night at the Museum 2? Wrong one. <laughs> No. <laughs> Wrong one. National Treasure 2 is the other movie where Ty Burrell gets cucked in. You... Yeah, so during the movie, I... Someone's uh, been Jamal... reading my notes. <laughs> God damn it. So during the movie, Jamal paused the movie to talk about some bullshit. And I told him <laughs> to shut up because I needed to bring up the fact that Ty Burrell has been cucked in two movies as the boyfriend who starts dating... The girlfriend who has broken up with the main character and then gets immediately back together with the main character. Yeah, one is in this like, movie and, and the, the other, other is in National, is in National Treasure, Treasure, Treasure 2, Book of Secrets. God damn it. <laughs> See, I remember that movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Ty Burrell does a great job in his one and a half scenes. It would be um, incredible if Ty Burrell also got cucked in Night at the Museum 2. <laughs> Ty Burrell, I think he had more of a character before the stuff got cut, but um, he's playing canonically Doc Samson, which is wild. Betty uh, does real well. Liv Tyler's great. Basically the only woman in the movie, so that hasn't aged wonderfully. But we'll get to that. Yeah. I think it might be time. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about Betty and just, like, their really sweet scenes together. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Because yeah. they are definitely, even though they've been away from each other for a while, in a relationship, and they're great at displaying that. Oh, absolutely. Where just stuff like, she hasn't seen him for years, and she knows he has a problem, that being the Hulk, and yet, and when they get out of the taxi, and he tries to teach her about, like, calming her anger, she's like, you zip it. Remember when Tim Roth gets injected with the super soldier serum, and the guy goes, you're gonna get two injections, one into the vein and one into the bone marrow. Bone one's gonna hurt. <laughs> and Tim Roth is like, do it. Bone one's gonna hurt is... is written in all of our notes. Is <laughs> the line, bone one's gonna hurt. I wish I could say that it was actually, written in my notes, wait, but I don't know where it's... Actually, I don't know if I have it in my notes. I have, uh... So it's just... You, you won't know. like me when I'm hungry. That uh, was a good joke. Through no, a forklift truck like it was a softball. <laughs> 
And Tim Roth is a treasure. <laughs> That's this movie's. He built. He built it in a cave with scraps. He flew through a forklift like it was a softball. Can we have a new section in your show, which is who is the tr- who's a national treasure? Because this episode. Right, so epi- Tim. So Tim Roth. So we're starting the national treasure bit. Uh, Tim Roth, the national treasure in this Tim movie. Tim Roth is the national treasure of this movie. Alan Arkin was the national treasure of Get Smart, and Tim Roth is the national treasure of The Incredible Hulk. Good job. Hey, if you're listening yeah. to this, Tim Roth, you did good in the one MCU movie from 11 years ago. Uh, good job, buddy. Remember that one scene where he gets fucking wrapped around a tree? <laughs> he yeah. gets killed. He gets, he gets yeah. one. He gets yeeted by the Hulk into a tree. Yeah. He's dead. <laughs> I need to blow my nose. <laughs> Everybody take five. It's going to be a long blow. Welcome back to Hayden Wait. We're going to talk about uh, sort of two distinct topics. Could the movie be made now? And how does it fit into the modern day MCU? Could this movie be made as an MCU movie now, knowing what the current Avengers, you know, pantheon of bullshit is like? No. Nope. Hey, good answer. We got and we're it. done. Thanks for joining us. Thank this you has for been coming to uh, Hate No Eight. Spending Hate No Eight so and much of your day listening to and this. And Papa Slop. Yeah, this feels like a weird little like action. Mo- it feels like like the Incredible Hulk TV show uh-huh. blown We've up onto the big screen. Literally been holding back comparing it to the MCU because we've wanted to save it all for right now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even think it fits in with Iron Man. No, it like not it at doesn't. All. It feels more like a Spider-Man standalone Hulk movie. Yeah, and in its own way, it feels like a movie version of the original TV show because that's what yeah. it is. It do, it does. Yeah, it would work as a TV show. I think still. Yeah, maybe. But or a if mini, you cut it up, yeah. Well, yeah, it doesn't. It has a few references to the outside world, but this is not a world that has superheroes. Mm-hmm. You know, they react to the Hulk the way a human being might react to an eight-foot green freak. Uh-huh. They're all like, oh! Could it be made today? Let's start with that. Which uh, is... You, maybe. Maybe, Shazam but not... made? Like, it could be made today, but not in the Marvel Cinematic no, Universe. No, very much not. It, um, and, and there are not Marvel movies made that are not in the Marvel Cinematic yeah, Universe it could be It could be a miniseries, or it could be a TV series, yeah, I think. Yeah, if, if Netflix made this, it would be worse, and it would be longer, but I could believe it. Be, uh, could it be made today? Yes. Would it be made today with what Marvel is now? No. 
uh, just because it doesn't play into that Marvel Cinematic Universe the way that movies now from Marvel are expected to. It could pass by as a show because Marvel's TV shows aren't really expected to play into that universe as much. Um, it, it also doesn't fit with the Marvel house style. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a comedy. It's very rarely funny. It has a big superhero punch him up at the end, but it feels grafted on. Uh-huh. It doesn't feel like it's the same movie where Bruce Banner has to hitchhike mm-hmm. from Guatemala <laughs> to Arlington, Virginia, to Culver City, Virginia. It feels weird and out of place because it is. And I don't think you could do an MCU movie in that style with this material. Yeah, I agree. It's... I don't think it would be made today. No, it's, it's a fine movie. I think it... In terms of quality, it's I think it's underrated. Mm-hmm. It yeah. gets a lot of you can skip this when people are like are talking about rewatching the Marvels, but uh, you universe. Sh- really shouldn't. No, I I think it's interesting to see where this came from, and I mean if you're gonna watch Thor two, then you on. should watch. You can watch this. Uh huh. Yeah, because it's gonna be more enjoyable, and I think Ian has been internally debating if this is more enjoyable than the original Iron Man. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll t- whenever we talk about uh, Iron Man on this that show, question another, 2008, will pop up. another 2008 classic, yeah. we'll certainly discuss it. Um, maybe we'll have you back in for that. Maybe. Let's move on to our final large topic of the podcast, which is let's dive into our comparisons to today's Hulk, because right. it is a different we have Hulk. we have multiple times gone on tangents where we've compared them and had to stop ourselves. We've been saving up for this big comparison special. So I think the first uh, we have some debate on this topic. David, you prefer Ed Norton to Mark Ruffalo. I <laughs> throwing me under the bus, which I will then lift up because I am David Banner because it sounds less gay than Bruce. <laughs> huh? You don't know about that? I know David Banner. I don't, I, wait, did, did they chose him because it sounded less gay? Yeah, back when they made the original TV show, they named uh, the main character David Banner instead of Bruce Banner because they thought Bruce was too gay of a name. But Batman existed. I know. Batman is pretty gay. There's no logic to it. <laughs> Absolutely none. What do you mean? It's super dumb. Um, uh, I like this Bruce much more than the Bruce we get in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because this Bruce within his own movie is a solid character. Absolutely. He, uh, we know what he wants, we know what he fears, we know what he believes, and we know what he's running from and running to. And it's just he's just a sol- such a solid character and Ed Norton does a very good job at portraying that. Um, and Mark Ruffalo's Bruce Banner has just never really gotten that to the full extent that we could before. And the main reason that he hasn't is because I like the Hulk from really the MCU a lot more than this Hulk. Because that Hulk is a character. So it's yeah. it's a... Con- I mean, this movie, Ed Norton is an anchor. He's not... A flashy character. He's very uh, low-key and reserved, and that works for the movie this is. Um, This is a movie where nobody's all that over the top. The closest is National Treasure Tim Roth, but um, even that's not that far. I like Ruffalo's a little more, uh, I think because it's a more distinctive character. 
less three-dimensional because he hasn't had a movie, but I'm more interested in him. I feel like I learned everything I need to learn about Ed Norton in this movie. Does that mean he's not a good character? No. He's a strong, he's a solid character, but he's also not that interesting to me. I would watch a series with him, but I don't need one. I liked Betty more. Um, I'd love to see Liv Tyler come back. Mm-hmm. I mean, as we talked about, we'd love to see another movie or a series based on this one. I want to see what Ed Norton's David or fuck Ed Norton's Bruce Banner gets up to. Um, and you want to see him fight the leader? The leader, like. There's a lot of there's a lot of elements we could pull here, and I think it'd be yeah. interesting. This yeah. movie makes I, us want to reboot the original Hulk TV show. Yes, because that's what this is. It's uh-huh. the Hulk TV show with a better cast and more money. I also like the Hulk in the MCU more because he's a real character. It's very mm-hmm. King Kongy here, and I wasn't like the best. The best. The Hulk action- is almost a fart in the wind in this movie. The Hulk himself. <laughs> well, the best yeah. sequence in this movie for me is the chase in Brazil, which mm-hmm. is a there's no Hulk in that. Uh, and, and when the Hulk shows up, he's in shadow. It's a lot more sort of almost a horror scene. It's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's really well done. And I like it a lot. And it's a little bit more interesting than the fights that involve the Hulk that are mostly 80 billion people shoot bullets at the Hulk. And it nothing happens. confirmed by the first minute of this movie. That bullets do not harm the Hulk. You'd think they yeah. would get that shit. Yeah, and they just don't <laughs> stop shooting him. I, yeah. At one point, Blomsky glows up one on one against the Hulk, and he pulls his pistol and he's shooting at the Hulk. Why? Your your M4 did nothing. Why? <laughs> Bring a knife. Try a knife. Maybe it's like Kevlar, and you can stab him. Gee whiz. <laughs> I, I like I agree that the Hulk was like not at all really a, a character in this movie, but I still think the movie stands. I guess. Oh, it definitely sure, does. Like to me, agree. like to me, it doesn't necessarily matter. Like I, I think I, I would have preferred to see that uh, like Ed Norton's version of Bruce Banner go through than Mark Ruffalo's. Although I feel like with Mark Ruffalo, maybe they were like kind of trying to like stitch together, mm-hmm. but. Ma- it, it, I don't know. If they're too. If in some characters. way, Mark Ruffalo, you are listening to this. I don't want you to think that you did a bad job as Bruce Banner because you did a good job. David, we yeah. do not need to stroke Mark Ruffalo's. The man has millions of dollars. I loved I your. I loved. Hey, Mark. I don't Mark. care. Mark, Mark. I don't care if you feel bad. It's Mark. okay. Mark. You've got millions of dollars. Mark, You're very don't... happy. I, on the other hand, as a Dickinson College graduate, really appreciated your 2015 commencement address. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and I and I truly resent my jazz band director for making us go to rehearsal when you came back the following fall. <laughs> Fuck you, Jeff. Is that the end? Yeah, I love you, Mark. <laughs> Thank you for Thanks for listening, Dave. <laughs>
Hey everybody, Jamal again. I hope you enjoyed episode 1 of Hayden 08. We had an absolute blast making it. We'll have a new episode soon, as well as extras and bloopers coming out periodically, so keep watching this space. Huge thanks to my guests Ian White and David Thorpe. They'll be on again soon. If you enjoyed David in this episode, consider checking out his show, Robots into Guys, an experiment in critical analysis where one man, his partner, and his college roommate attempt a queer reading of Transformers. There's film theory, queer criticism, and a lot of fun. Plus, if you listen long enough, you might catch me on an episode or two. You can find Robots into Guys on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud with more platforms to come. Hayden 08 was edited and processed using Alitu, and the music in this episode was Balkan Nights by the Underscore Orchestra. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.